The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. So here's the thing. There is a God in heaven. And, and God is infinite in power. God is infinite in, in, uh, in, his, in his wisdom and his knowledge. God is infinite in presence. And he is infinite in his goodness. And he has an undying love for you and I. He loves us. And throughout history, God has revealed himself to certain people at certain times, most principally through, uh, by, by coming himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us so that you and I could, would have our sins removed from us. The sins which separate us from God, these were removed from us by Jesus Christ. He did this so he could reconcile us to himself. And he did these things because this brings God glory. The cross of Jesus Christ, God's grace towards us, God's love towards us, doesn't magnify us, it magnifies God. That's what Christians believe. And so we go to his word because this is where God has revealed himself to us. It's in his word. We come to God's word to be taught by him, to encounter God, to be shaped by God, to be warmed by God through his word. And passages like Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, uh, they give us an especially comprehensive insight into the nature and character of God. If you're the kind of person who has like favorite Bible verses, if you haven't yet added Romans 5, 1 to 11 to your list, do it. If you're the kind of person who, who doesn't have a favorite Bible verse, but you're kind of looking for one, can I suggest Romans 5, 1 to 11 is a really good candidate for to be your Bible verse, maybe the thing that you hold on to for your entire life. It is well worth uh, the three weeks that we're about to spend in it. So just to give you a little bit of context for Romans chapter 5, uh, the Apostle Paul has written the letter of Romans uh, to the church in Rome. Now, Paul didn't actually plant this church, he, uh, but he did know a bunch of people who were part of this church. In fact, in Romans 16, he, he mentions at least, well, there's 28 people that, that Paul actually knows. He lists 26 of them by name, which means he has a really close personal connection to this church. And this letter contains uh, perhaps Paul's most comprehensive understanding of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. And just to give you context for Romans chapter 5, the first four chapters of Romans, Paul has been outlined really the problem for mankind, that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, all alike have fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, that we all fall short of the glory of God, and we need help. All have sinned. But the good news that Paul writes is that the righteousness of God, which is the perfection of Jesus Christ, is now available to all people as the free and unearned gift of grace that is received by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. That's Romans 1 to 4 in very broad brushstrokes. It's much more detailed than what I just gave it. But our joyful task for the next three weeks is to examine and remind and delight ourselves in the effects of a life that has been justified by faith in Christ. That's Romans 1 to 4. Now we're looking at Romans chapter 5. So let's pray and then we'll get into God's word. 
Father, we thank you so much that we do have your word, that we can open this word and know that these are your words, that you speak to us through your word, by your spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be with us this morning as we spend this time reading this, understanding it, coming to, to learn it, Lord. That it wouldn't just be words on a page and, and a bit of information and some interesting insight, but your word, Lord, would penetrate deep down to our hearts. Like, like the sharp two-edged blade that it is would have pierced through marrow. Get deep down into our hearts, Lord. And, and show us, Lord, reveal to us how beautiful and wonderful the, the good news is, how beautiful and wonderful Jesus is. And how much better he is than anything else that we've got going on. We love you, Lord. Amen. A major reason why uh, we're preaching this today, and, and looking particularly at um, verses 1 and 2 today, a major reason why I've chosen Romans 5 is because I became absolutely stunned and blown away by how incredible these verses were uh, during a Bible college exam. It was back in uh, 2013, uh, so about eight and a half years ago. Uh, we had to translate and parse out this passage from its Greek text. And as I was writing it out, as I was doing it all, <clears throat> I reached this point where I just felt like it was, I, it, I was suddenly not in an exam, and I was suddenly a, 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 a really uh, a child of God reading this as, and receiving it. I felt like the Holy Spirit came and started speaking to me in that moment. I had to put my pen down and close my eyes and just thank God in the middle of this exam. So the reason why we're, we're looking at this passage is because it made such an impression on me eight and a half years ago. The reason why I was at Bible college was because a little time before that, uh, I had been encouraged to start preaching by my senior pastor at the time, a man named Charles Newington. Uh, and he had encouraged me to start preaching because uh, I was leading the young adult congregation at that stage. The reason why I was preaching and in ministry is because uh, a few years before that, I'd actually been encouraged into ministry by my youth pastor, a man named Graham Clark. The reason why Graham Clark encouraged me into ministry was because on Thursday evening, the 28th of September 2000, on the fourth night of a youth camp at Majimba here on the Sunshine Coast, I pulled Graham aside and said, hey, I think God is calling me into ministry. I think I want to do this. The reason why I said that to Graham is because sometime earlier that week at this camp, I had given my life to Jesus Christ. I had suddenly realized how beautiful and wonderful he was, and I had put my trust in him as my Lord and Savior and had resolved to live my life for him. The reason why I did that was because the Holy Spirit had worked through the friendship and kindness of a couple of young guys who met me at this camp. One, his name is Sam Walter. The other, his name is Luke Williams. Two young men who were not young anymore, but we're, we're still good pals. We're still in contact. We see, I still see them all the time. And, and the Holy Spirit used the kindness and the friendship of those guys to introduce me to the kindness and friendship of Jesus Christ. We can draw a very straight cause and effect uh, chronological line from Majimba on the 25th of September 2000 to the CCSA Hall here at 1 Nutley Street in Calandra on the 5th of June, 2022. I say all of this to illustrate the, the cause and effect 
reality that so many of us, that each of us experience each and every day of our lives. What happens today, what we encounter today, is a product of what came before. The effects and experiences of today are caused by what came before them. And understanding this cause and effect, that something happened and then therefore something else took place, because of this, then that, that is critical to understanding Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. We begin in verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, with these words. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith. That's how Paul begins this. With these words, Paul is using the phenomena of cause and effect to underline and to point to the absolute reality that is true of every single person who puts their faith in Jesus. He begins with this word, therefore. And that word, therefore, is really important when we're reading our Bibles. If you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for? Because what what it's doing there, it is drawing a conclusion based on what has previously been said. And the entirety of Romans chapters 1 to 4 sits behind this word, therefore. That is, being sinners and living in rebellion against God, we deserve God's righteous judgment. We did not have a right standing before God, and our attempts to make ourselves righteous on our own were futile. But in Jesus, the righteousness of God has been revealed to me, been made known to us, has been become possible because of Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, those who put their faith in him have the unmatched and unearned blessing and benefit of God looking at that person and saying, Righteous. He looks at you and he says, that man is righteous. He looks at you and says, that woman is righteous because they have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Not because of anything they have done, but because Jesus Christ himself is righteous. That's what stands behind that word, therefore. That's what that word represents. It's a big, powerful word. And it's why Paul continues by saying, since we have been justified by faith. The tense of that indicates that this justification has already been accomplished and finished and completed by Jesus Christ. We have been justified. It's in the past, which means it has become true of us when we trust in Jesus. Jesus laid down his life as a payment for our sin. He stood in our place and received the punishment that we deserved. And if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then justification is true of you right now. You have been justified. You are now right with God. And that reality for you is based not on how good you are at being a Christian. It's not based on on what you can bring to the table and how good you can be at at, at building the kingdom of God. It It is based truly and completely on the past work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Without the gospel, we have no hope at all. We will stand before God's judgment and we will receive it in full. But if we receive our, if we, if we put our faith in Jesus, God looks at us and he says, righteous. It is true of you now. And it can never become untrue. If you are here and you do not have faith in Jesus, the kindest thing I can say to you right now is that this is not true of you. 
The kindest thing that I can say to you right now is that you will, if you don't put your faith in Jesus, you will one day stand before the judge and you will stand on your own. However, it is available to you today. By the simple act of trusting in Jesus for your salvation and calling him your Lord and master over your life, the perfection of Jesus will be imprinted onto your entire being and that will become eternally true of you. So that's the cause. That's the cause. That's the cause behind this since. Paul says, therefore, since. So there's this cause and now it has this since. Since we have been justified, because of that, now there is, these, there is an effect, there is a result, there is something different now about the person who has been justified by faith. And that's what we are really looking at today. In verses, we're only going to be looking at verses 1 and 2 today, looking at the results. And there's three here that Paul gives us in these first two verses. Here they are in short. Having been justified by faith, one, we have peace with God, two, we have access to grace, and three, we boast in glory. So firstly, we have peace with God. The way that Paul writes this is that peace with God is the first result of justification by faith. Peace with God is guaranteed for us by our justification. And this is telling because if it's true that we have peace with God after being justified, it means that we didn't have peace with God before our justification. That's true. Before we believe in Jesus, our relationship with God, our our association with God was hostile in nature. One of the very unfortunate lies of our culture and our world and even something that we might even say to ourselves is that, you know, we're generally good with God. Everybody's generally a good person. You know, as long as you're not too bad, as long as you don't hurt somebody else, then, you know, we're all kind of right with God and God's cool with us and it's all kind of fine. But that is a lie from the pit of hell. Our world will say, you know, everyone's kind of generally a good person and, you know, if you want to be religious, that's fine. Each to their own, just go and do that. That's all kind of cool. If you believe that, then the idea that there is hostility between you and God will come It's a bit of a shock. And that might be you today. You might think that you and God are generally on good terms. You know, you stay in your lane, he stays in his, and everyone's kind of cool. But that is not the case at all. If we have not received the righteousness of God, then the hostility between us and God remains. And that's because not only have we broken God's law, but we've also assumed the right that we have the authority to do so. When we break God's law, we are claiming kingship over our own lives and over our own world. And the hostility remains between us and God because our disobedience means that God has a problem with us, a really big problem with us. Because of our sin, we fall short of God's glory and there is a sentence on us. By breaking God's law, there is a sentence on us that we cannot shake. We cannot get rid of that sentence on us. If God is a God of justice, then he must stand in judgment over all sin, including the sin in my heart, as much as I don't want that to be the case. This is why it's good news that the first result of justification by faith is that we now have peace with God. We are at peace with God. 
We have it. It's ours now. Peace with God has been fought for and won for us by Jesus Christ. Paul is not saying, hey, be at peace with God. He's not telling us to find find peace with God. Peace with God is something that the believer has. Paul is simply urging believers to recognize you already have this peace with God. If you're a believer, then you have peace with God. Now, it's really important that we recognize the importance of that little preposition there, peace with God. See, Paul is not saying on this occasion that because of justification, because we've been made righteous by Jesus Christ, he's not on this occasion saying that we now have the peace of God. Paul does say that elsewhere, but he's not saying that here. His concern here is that we have peace with God. The peace that we have with God is not, a, is not a, something that we, is not a subjective feeling that we have. That certainly flows from this, but this is an objective reality for our lives. Whether you feel that way or not, you have peace with God if your faith is in Christ. And that distinction between the words with and of is important. We need the peace of God when, we are, when we're standing in front of suffering and trials and conflict. But we need the peace with God when we stand before him as our judge. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes that the question here is not, how do I stand up to the problems that I face? It's, how do I stand before God? Our sin is the biggest problem that we will ever have because it incurs the judgment of God and there is absolutely nothing that we can do outside of God about that. So when the question is, how do I stand before God? The answer from Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 1 is, we can stand before God because we have now been justified by faith in Jesus Christ and we now have peace with God. This is why Paul lists peace as the first result of justification. It's the primary function of justification by faith. It's to have peace with God. This is why you'll hear me say again and again, the biggest problem you have right now is the biggest problem that we ever face is our sin that separates us from God. And that's not to diminish the other problems that we have in our lives. That's not to diminish the issues that you're facing at work or the financial struggles you're walking through right now. That's not to diminish the health issues that, are, that you're having or that someone in your family is having or the relational strife or the unmet uh, expectations that you have. That's not to say that those things are small. It's to say that there's actually something far bigger and more significant going on in our lives and that is the sin that separates us from God. We need to have peace with God. And Paul anchors this point by the fact that it's not just peace with God on its own. He he said it's through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul wants his readers to be reminded that this is actually not their own doing. This is the work of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting the way that Paul writes this, because he says it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of, the, one of the ways we can read our Bibles is just ask the question as we read through it, why did Paul choose this word and not that word? Like Paul could have written uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
would have made sense, right? We would have understand what that means. But he uses the word our Lord Jesus Christ. And that our is, is emphatic. It stands out. This is our relation. It makes our relationship with Jesus both personal and corporate. It's personal because he's our Lord. Not just the, he's not just the Lord. He's our Lord. Like there's a difference between saying a house or the house and my house. If it's the house and I'm in the house, I might be a trespasser. But if I'm in my house, if I'm in our house, then I'm home. And this is the difference. This makes our relationship with Jesus Christ incredibly personal. Can I encourage you in your prayer life? Just for this week, try it out. Every time you talk to God, talk to him, talk to him with that possessive pronoun. My God, my Lord, my Jesus Christ, my, my Savior. Possess him. Own him. It doesn't just make it personal. It doesn't make our relationship with Jesus Christ only personal. It also makes it corporate. Our salvation is corporate. He is not just mine, he's ours. And we can include in this the church in Rome who Paul was writing to, our Lord. We can include in this Paul who wrote it. He is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a corporate nature to our faith. There is a reason why we gather on Sunday mornings. It's not just because we all get together because we have the generally same kind of views on, on, on this particular type of Christianity, if you want to say that. It's that we are brought together in the family of God. When you, when you are justified by faith, you are justified into a relationship with Jesus, and then you have brothers and sisters whom we are called to gather with and, and connect with and to be in one another's lives and to edify and encourage one another in our faith. Our salvation automatically implicates us into the family of God. Our union with Jesus Christ is personal, but it is by no means private. It's something that we share with one another. The peace that we have with God comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our anchor for that. But there is a second thing that we now have, which also comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is our second point for today. We, point number two, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. Um, there is, this is something we can't see so much easily in our English translations, maybe just because of the sentence structure. But the way that Paul writes this, it's, it's a chiasm, which means um, a chiasm was a simple way of, of making your central point in a written text, uh, really helping the reader understand what the central point is, by putting it central to the text. So I think I've got a slide of it here. Um, this is the way the ESV puts it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through, whom, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. When you look at it this way, the words, we have peace with God through our Lord and through whom we have access by faith into this grace, they are mirror images of one another, lined up on either side with Jesus Christ being the central hinge that connects them together. In other words, Jesus is central to the results of our justification. 
He's not just central to our justification. He's central to the results of our justification. We would do well to always remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is the reason why we both enjoy peace with God and he's the reason why we have access to this grace in which we stand. So let's look at this access. Uh, the, the words translated obtaining access here are interesting. Uh, access is a really good translation for it, but it doesn't necessarily convey the strength of, of this word. See, we might think of access kind of like we've got a ticket and all we've got to do is show our, our ticket at the door. But the word that is used here is a, is a lot stronger. Uh, my wife, Kirsty and I, we've been watching the Netflix series The Crown lately. And uh, I was going to recommend it. And then one of the episodes later, towards the end of season two, has some pretty explicit stuff. So I will not, as your pastor, recommend that you watch this TV show. However, it does give you insight into the life of, uh, of Queen Elizabeth. Uh, it's quite fascinating. And what's always really interesting when you see, and we keep commenting on it, is just the protocols around this woman, protocols around Queen Elizabeth and all the things that are required of her and people who want to see her. If you wanted to see Queen Elizabeth, you needed access to her. You couldn't just knock on the door. You couldn't just go in to see her. You had to firstly get through the guards who stood at the gate. They had to give you access. And then once you were in the gate, in, through the gate, then you needed access into Buckingham Palace itself, which, you could, which could only come by what I've learned this week is the Queen's Equerry. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. The Queen's Equerry is a military officer who would escort you whilst you were inside the palace. So the, Queen Equerry, the Queen's Equerry would actually meet you at the, at the front door of Buckingham Palace, and if he deemed that you were trustworthy enough to come in and see the Queen, uh, then he would allow you into Buckingham Palace, and then he would escort you through Buckingham Palace, and it still exists today, uh, and you would just walk a few paces behind the Queen's Equerry. He's a military officer. Um, you would walk behind the Queen's Equerry in to see the Queen. And you would stand outside the Queen's office and, and where she does her meetings, and uh, uh, she would have to, first of all, receive you. And then when, once that's happened, then again, the Queen's equerry would, would walk in first, bow to the Queen, and then introduce you to the Queen. These were the protocols to get to finally actually see the Queen. Now, at the risk of making it sound like God is only concerned about protocol or pompous procedure, which we'll see in a few moments, he isn't. That's the force behind this word access. The access through Jesus Christ to the grace in which we stand is an introduction to the Father by Jesus Christ. We come to the Father only by way of Jesus Christ who leads us before the presence of God. Jesus says this in John 14 verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Christ, we are ushered into, the, into God's throne room. That's where we now have access, into the grace in which we stand. And the reason why Paul describes this access to God as being full of grace is because we come by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the sacrifice that he made. 
Were it not for the blood of Jesus, we would be incinerated by the white-hot holiness of God. But because of Jesus, we stand before God in grace, the grace in which we stand. That is our standing. That is our position. That is our foundation, the grace of God. That is the, the grace of Jesus Christ, the only way that we can stand before God and have a relationship with God and be reconciled with this God who he once had hostility with. And the tenses of the verbs that Paul uses here tell us that our position of grace before God is what has been since our salvation and what will always be. Our standing with God is one of grace. He looks at us with a gracious manner. He looks upon us favorably. He looks at us with a smile on his face. When, when God looks at us, when God thinks about us, when, he, when he's staring at you right now, he has gladness on his face. He doesn't look at us with disdain when we come to him in, uh, through Jesus Christ. And that is true of us regardless of how we feel about it. In our world right now, it is so hard to resist the idea of something being only true if we feel it to be true. But if your faith is in Jesus Christ, this is true of you. You stand in grace before God. We are not in this position before we are justified by God, but we absolutely are immediately after being justified. And we continue to stand upon the grace of God in an ongoing way. And this is really the other side of the coin of peace. You see, justification is not just the removal of hostility between us and God. It is the positive affirmation of our new relationship with God. So before we were in our relationship, we had a relationship with God. Before justification, we stood as enemies with God. So you have enemies with God, and then you have uh, neutrality with God, and then you have children of God. And before we are justified, we stand uh, as enemies of God. And then after we are justified, we skip over this neutrality nonsense, and we become straight away children of God. It's not just that the hostility is removed from us and now we stand in this kind of no man's land with God and then we've got to somehow find our way to be loved by him. We are removed, we are are once called enemies with him and now we're called his children. That's what's going on here. That's the grace in which we stand. We were once enemies, now we are children. This is the favor that we did not make for ourselves This is not favor that that we are worthy of. This is favor that we have not earned. This is favor that has been given to us as a free gift because of God's love towards us. So because of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. We have it. We have access to grace, the the grace in which we stand. And then it's for these two reasons that Paul logically, logically comes to the third outcome of justification, and that is that we boast in the hope of the glory of God. There's something wonderful about looking forward to a particular day. Uh, a couple of Fridays ago, uh, a bunch of us, uh, a few of us went um, to Double Island Point, went four wheel driving. And uh, I shared last week a story about going four wheel driving, my new four wheel drive. I'm really excited about it. This is another story about four wheel drives. I apologize. Um, 
Actually, not sorry at all. Love it. Um, we went forward driving a couple of Fridays ago, and we went up to Double Island Point. First time taking this car on the sand, and I was so excited about it. It was something that we've been looking forward to a lot for a long time. And when you're looking forward to something, you start to prepare yourself for it. You start to prepare things for it. And so uh, it was uh, myself and and and, and Kirsty and the kids, and Wayne and Mel, and Hannah and Grace, and then Roy and Shona and the kids went as well. And we had this really great time. And on the week and the days leading up to it, Roy and Wayne and I were just messaging each other. We're getting prepared. So have you got a pump? Have you got a max strap? Have you got a snatch strap? Have you got a gauge? Have you got these various things that we've got? Uh, is, are these things that we've got this? And if we don't have it, can we borrow it from somebody? We start to prepare ourselves. When you're looking forward to something like that, you start to prepare yourselves for that thing in the days leading up to it. Our kids do this whenever it's their birthday. In the days leading up to their birthday, they start to prepare their, their, themselves. I mean, they've been counting down, down since like day 99 before their birthday. But in the days leading up to it, they start to get their bedroom ready and, and everything kind of, they even start to make room in their life for this one particular day. When you have something that you're looking forward to, it gives you reason to endure the days that are leading up to it because you know it's going to be worth it. And this final point tells us that we've got something incredible to look forward to. So of the first two points that, about the peace that we have with God and the access to grace that we have with God, if those two points are about the present result of our justification, this one is about the future result of justification, the future benefits of justification. What do we have to look forward to? It's the glory of God. We have, we, look, we have hope in the glory of God. We have hope in that. Our English word hope uh, is a bit weak. It's a bit weak for this. So when we, when we use the word hope in our usual language, we, we normally, it's something that we hope will happen, that we expect to happen, but we have no certainty. Like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope the weather is good. But the sense of this word is a future conviction, a future certainty of something. See, a Christian doesn't have a hopeful wish. A Christian has a hope-filled certainty. What is our hope? Our hope is the glory of God. The thing that we look forward to as Christians is the glory of God. There's two things that are going on here. Firstly, Paul was looking forward to seeing God's glory first, firsthand with his own eyes. He was looking forward to seeing the face of God, actually seeing God's face, seeing what God's face looks like. That's what he means here. There would one day come a day where Paul would see him face to face and that thought thrilled him. That thought should thrill us too. The reason why is because the glory of God is the most beautiful and wonderful and magnificent and exhilarating thing in the universe and that is held in God's face. Seeing God will be the reason that makes heaven so wonderful. We can look back to Moses on Mount Sinai who prayed, God, show me your glory. And when God does come down, he hides Moses by his hand because Moses would not be able to look at the face of God without dying. That's the extent of God's glory. And it was so impressive to Moses. It had such a huge impact on Moses that for weeks afterwards, his face was glowing. He he shone. It freaked people out. They said, Moses, put a bag over your face because the reflection of God's glory over you, off, off your face is so intense for us that it freaks us out. 
God's goodness and perfection and holiness and beauty is so infinitely above us that if we were to see him right now, we would be so overwhelmed to the point of death if we saw him. This is also what was the experience of Isaiah in Isaiah 6 who had a vision of the throne room of God and one moment in the throne room of God caused Isaiah to say, Woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. In other words, I am unrighteous. The people I live with are unrighteous. Woe is me. My eyes have seen the king the Lord of armies. That's what we are looking forward to. Blessing of all blessings, treasure of all treasures, chief among riches and more valuable and long-lasting than anything else in, the heaven, in heaven and on earth is the countenance of God. Seeing God coming into his presence fully and enjoying God fully. And friends, if you are in God, if you are in Christ, then that is in your future. The very first part of heaven is that we will see God. The second thing this refers to is Paul's own glorification. Our salvation has three aspects to it. There's the past, which is our we've been justified. There's the present, which is we are being sanctified. And then there's the future, which is we will one day be glorified. It's yet to happen. And this glorification is also in Paul's view here. There will come a day when all those in Jesus Christ will be glorified. We will receive the full and final redemption of our bodies. It wasn't just our spirits that fell when sin came into the world. It was our bodies too. And our bodies will one day be renewed. And this glorification gives us hope and endurance in the difficult days that we live in. There will one day come a day where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. Chronic fatigue will be gone. Cancer will be gone. Pain will be gone. Depression will be gone. Toothaches will be gone. Male pattern baldness will be gone. Stubbed toes, never again. This is going to happen. It's going to happen for real life. That's what we have to look forward to. And it's going to be for the glory of God. It's not a distant wish. It's not a pipe dream. It's our hope, our certain future. It's as sure for us as the resurrection is for Jesus. This is why Paul says that we boast in the hope of the glory of God. The word that Paul chooses here to describe our response to this is this word, boast. If you use it in ESV, it'll say rejoice. I think boasting is good. I think boasting is a bit stronger. This word, to boast, it expresses excessive confidence. Like not just confidence, but excessive confidence. It's akin to someone being so confident in themselves that they can't help but puff their chest out and strut. That's what this word boasting entails. Last Sunday, um, on the, in the afternoon, my son, Shepard, went to a birthday party at Laser Zone. If you've never been to Laser Zone, heaps of fun. 
And you get lasers in these chest packs and you shoot each other with lasers. And what happens is uh, at the end of the game, it's in this big maze and it's dark and bright lights and you're running and running screaming for like 10 minutes in this maze. And at the end of the game, you come out and you're in teams and there's this TV screen that's there as you walk out of the maze and it tells you who won and gives like everybody a code name. And there's like a green team and a blue team and a red team, I think. And the boys come out and these like the seven-year-old boys, they come out and they are sweaty and they, they are just like they are worn out and their, vo- their vocal cords are stretched from screaming and running and shooting each other. And they look at the screen and then they start boasting. Like, Green Team won! And they stick their chest out and they start marching all around the games room. Green Team won! And then they start boasting each other. I shot you and I saw you from over here and you didn't get me. And they boast and they're all sweaty and boasty. That's what Laser Zone is. It's sweaty and boasty, seven-year-old boys and girls. It's really quite a lot of fun. And that's what Paul is talking about here. That's the word that Paul uses, to boast. And we're not boasting in what we've done. We're not boasting in the cleverness that, of our, of, in our cleverness that we were so clever that we actually put our faith in Christ. The, it literally says we boast upon the hope of the glory of God. The glorification both of God and ourselves, that is the foundation for our boasting. We should let that be the foundation of our boasting. To boast in this is to puff your chest out at this fact. That there will come a day when God, in his glory, glorified state, we will see him. And we will receive glorified bodies too. To boast in this is to put this in your mind. To live with heaven in view. To, to have that in our minds, to possess that in our thoughts, and let the reality of heaven set in so much for us that we start preparing for it today. As we look forward to it, we prepare for it. We, we live each day in light of that day to come. It means we're so confident in what God has done for us and the reality of our standing now before God, the things that come against us, we can stick our chest out and say, whatever. Someone's going to cut you off in traffic this week. And you can boast in the glory of God, but go, meh, it's all right. I'm going to see God one day. And whatever someone cutting me off just threatened has got nothing on what's to be gained on that day. And I use cutting us off in traffic because that's just a simple, we all get what that means, what that feels like. But the trials that we face as believers, the suffering that we face as humans, we can prepare, we, we, we can prepare for that day today by setting our hope on the glory of God, by boasting in the hope of the glory of God, by letting the glory of God <clears throat> possess our minds, possess our thoughts, and to consider that deeply all the days of our lives. We boast in the glory of God by possessing these thoughts in our mind, by letting our, our minds swim with the thought of being justified by faith, letting our hearts soar that we have peace with God, marinating every thought in the, gra- in the fact that we have grace, that we stand in grace, Daydream and imagine about the glorification of your body as you see God face to face. And a deep joy will become resonant in our hearts as we do so. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.